Welcome to Reading Around Macroeconomics. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and we're going to be reading a piece by Daniel Oliver that was posted on the 14th of September at Mir McCann Capital. It is called Real Rates Go More Negative, and Mr. Oliver is an economic historian. He weaves in a little bit about what happened in the Great Depression, compares it to what's happening, plus some recent economic history, and then ties it all together with references to gold and gold miners. I always enjoy reading a letter by Mr. Oliver, and I hope you enjoy this one as well. Gold equities fell sharply in August, with the Huey, H-U-I, Gold Miners Index falling 7.3%, a reminder that the junior mining sector can be extraordinarily volatile. Since inception in 1996, the Huey standard deviation for its monthly returns is 11.5%, as opposed to 3.8% for the S&P 500 during that period. While investors prefer low vo lower volatility, in the case of gold equities, they serve the function of being insurance against the failure of global central banks, and insurance by its nature has non-linear payoffs. Mirmican maintains that the Fed has steered the economy and the financial system into a cul-de-sac. Mirmican's July letter illustrated emerging risks to the economy. Consumer income is stagnating, with extraordinary unemployment benefits expiring, eviction moratoriums ending, and housing costs soaring. Slackening consumer demand has led to soft commodity prices, weak housing sales, declining airline sales, etc. The signals the Fed monitors to judge aggregate demand. Meanwhile, the costs of doing business soar as global supply chain problems grow worse, not better. Recent economic news suggests that these trends are beginning to erode the macro outlook. The most recent jobs report from the Labor Department showed that employment had arisen by 235,000, as opposed to market expectations of 720,000. Goldman Sachs lowered their third quarter GDP growth forecast from 9 to 5.5%. The real number may be far worse. The Atlanta Fed's real-time GDP now growth forecast for Q3 has plunged from 6.2% in mid-August to only 3.7% as of September 10th. Large companies are beginning to sound profit warnings. Pink conglomerate PPG last week announced that it expects sales volume in QE3 to fall by $275 million, while raw material costs will increase by $70 million, pretty much the definition of stagflation on a micro scale. The CFO of mega conglomerate 3M similarly projected declining production due to microchip shortages, lower revenue, combined with sharply rising input costs. Moving over to raw materials, again I think the inflation is unprecedented. We are seeing inflation in the same areas I talked about earlier. Jobs, raw materials, labor, and logistics. I think inflation is way outstripping anything that we thought. With M2 money supply 34% higher than at the beginning of 2020, it seems strange anyone should be surprised by the inflation level. 
Recent speeches by regional Fed governors promoting an early and abrupt end to QE most likely reflect business angst over accelerating inflation in input costs. The real power, however, resides in Washington and New York and reflects the academic, the political, and the banking interests. Their nightmare is the 1937 policy error, the episode in which the Fed tightened in the middle of the Great Depression, snuffing out the incipient recovery. The choice remains the same, keep printing and stoke accelerating inflation, or stop and watch markets fall apart. In terms of the immediate direction for gold, Mir McCann remains agnostic as to Fed action, just as in 2019. By the end of that year, it was growing clear that the corporate debt bubble was fraying. The question then was the same as it is now. Would the Fed allow a crash to happen first and then respond? Or would it print money preemptively to prevent the crash? Would gold investors get liquidated along with the market? Or would the market send gold straight higher in anticipation of Fed action? The only difference is that the Fed was not printing money in 2019, whereas now it is printing $120 billion per month. How large would QE have to be now to prevent a crash? To recover from one, where would gold trade? And if the Fed were to choose not to respond, first the markets would unravel, then the economy, then the government. Where would gold trade then? More QE may not even work. Market prognosticators that focus solely on Fed policy overlook the bifurcated nature of our banking system. The Fed is the creator of fiat money and banking reserves, but the banks issue credit. That is why market weakness during the 2016 liftoff rates was so short-lived. The Fed reduced the creation of bank reserves but the banks did not need any more reserves. By 2014, excess reserves in the banking system had reached $2.7 trillion. Irrespective of whether the Fed was adding more, the banks had plenty of fuel to lend against assets rising in price. We are in a similar situation today. The banks have more than enough reserves to lend into the economy. The problem is that given the economic mess induced by the COVID hysteria, there are few borrowers capable of borrowing more. Bank lending to commercial and industrial loans, for example, has declined from $2.8 trillion in May 2020 to $2.5 trillion today. Bank lending against real estate is flat, mortgages up, revolving home credit lines down. Meanwhile, Bank lending to the U.S. Treasury and agency securities has soared from $3.4 trillion to $4.3 trillion, which funds transfer payments directly to favored constituents. Financial institutions also have parked $1.1 trillion in the Fed's reverse repo facility, which pays 0.05% interest per year suggesting they cannot find risk-adjusted returns above that rate. The Fed is finding itself right back where it was in 1935, when then-Fed Chairman Mariner Eccles told Congress, One cannot push on a string. We are on the depths of a depression, and 
Beyond creating an easy money situation through reduction of discount rates and through the creation of excess reserves, there is very little, if anything, that the reserve organization can do toward bringing about recovery. How quaint! The crisis last year saw the Fed purchase mortgage-backed securities, purchase and guarantee corporate debt, and become a direct counterparty to both lenders and borrowers in the repo market. In April of last year, after the interventions had been implemented, Janet Yellen, between her jobs of being Fed chairman and treasury secretary, and while taking millions giving speeches to banks, told CNBC that the Fed should have the power to buy equities. Yellen has been consistent on this point, having defended the proposal in 2016, saying, it could be useful to be able to intervene directly in assets where the prices have a more direct link to spending decisions, i.e. stocks. That the Fed will buy equities may currently seem inconceivable, but so were the interventions deployed in the previous two crises before those episodes. If the banks will not lend and the 98 trillion US dollar debt pyramid starts to implode through the cascading defaults, the Fed will have little choice other than to funnel cash directly to individuals to maintain aggregate consumer spending. How ironic though that Janet Yellen who was appointed as a Fed governor originally by Clinton to represent the interests of the working class, advocates a policy to send newly printed cash to asset holders, those who need it least. Whenever an investor begins to doubt the ability and propensity for the Fed to print money, and in novel fashion, he should revisit Bernanke's famous 2002 speech, Deflation, making sure it doesn't happen here. The U.S. government has a technology called a printing press, or today its electronic equivalent, that allows it to produce as many U.S. dollars as it wishes at essentially no cost. By increasing the number of U.S. dollars in circulation, or even by credibly threatening to do so, the U.S. government can also reduce the value of a dollar in terms of goods and services, which is equivalent to raising the prices in dollars of those goods and services. We conclude that, under a paper money system, a determined government can always generate higher spending and hence positive inflation. Direct cash transfers will complete the Fed's pivot from QE for the banks QE for the people. As discussed in previous letters, it will mean instead of stimulating malinvestment and asset markets, the intervention will further increase consumer inflation. As CPI climbs, real rates will go ever more negative, and real yields have a strong influence on gold's nominal price, as the chart below demonstrates. And below, uh, Daniel Oliver shows a graph Two lines, real rates heading down, gold prices heading up. The relationship presented in the chart above is so obvious that investors are understandably frustrated that gold is not already much, much higher. There seem but two likely possibilities. 
Gold is simply digesting its recent run from $1,500 per ounce only 18 months ago and will soon launch higher, or gold is telegraphing a looming dollar liquidity crisis. It would not be the first time. From July 14th to August 28th in 2008, the S&P 500 rose 5% while gold was down 13 and the Huey Gold and Silver Miner Index was down 26%. The third possibility is that Mir McCann's thesis is simply incorrect. The government can run rising deficits without limit. The stock market can accelerate higher forever. Wealth concentration can continue with no societal or political effects. The U.S. empire can decline with no material consequences for Americans or our markets. Gold and gold miners offer themselves as insurance that the proposition above turns out to be false. It may well be that a liquidity crisis, which might or might not hit gold as well, may be just the thing needed to evoke the policy response that would power the gold price into the multi-thousand dollars per ounce. It is also possible that gold will finally flush out the weak hands and power higher on the basis of negative real rates. As in 2019, the long-term equity performance of well-run gold mining companies does not rely on Fed action or short-term market movements. Their stock prices may decline sharply, but as long as they keep their capital structures intact, their stock prices recover with gold prices. Indeed, this is what happened on a broad scale from 2013 through 2016 and on a micro scale from January to April in 2020. The end game is clear, even if the exact path is not. The authorities must keep asset prices aloft to encourage the propensity to spend and make possible debt payments and tax revenue. As corporate margins shrink and multiples compress, the toxic combination that sent the S&P 500 down 89% from 1929 to 1932, the only way to sustain asset prices will be for the Fed to print money to make direct purchases. For the powers at the Fed, the cost of this policy, galloping consumer inflation, will be a small price to sustain the existing system. There is no doubt that unlimited Fed power can hold markets aloft in nominal terms, and the dollar may not even weaken internationally as long as other central banks implement similar policies. But businesses and consumers will, at some point, arrange what the great economist Ludwig, oh geez, Ludwig van Mises called the flight into real values. The prices of goods and commodities will soar as everyone attempts to protect his purchasing power. This current bout of inflation is merely a preview of what happens when the market loses its trust in the currency. Another delightful piece from Daniel Oliver, the head of Myrmican Capital. Once a month he comes out with something and I always enjoy reading it. You can read all his work too at myrmican.com. M-Y-R-M-I-K-A-N. M-Y-R-M-I-K-A-N. 
R-M-I-K-A-N. Not only will you find all of his previous writings, but get this, you will find his essential reading list. Now, Mr. Oliver is an economic historian of the first order. Why? Because he went back and he read all the original works. And his essential reading list, about 40% of them come from the 19th century. I'm looking at something here. 1892, 1833, 1874, 1886, 1877, 1841. Great stuff. Great stuff. I hope you enjoyed this reading, ladies and gentlemen. Let me know what you think in the notes, and I will talk to you again soon.